Um, we're studying hermeneutics, how to study the Bible. Um, the Bible came to us um, through a, maybe a series of events, you might call it that. Um, God had some thoughts, right? And He revealed these thoughts to men, and then He inspired them to write down His words, right? We believe in the verbal plenary view of inspiration. He inspired them to write down the, the very words, the grammar pattern. It's all God's Word in the original manuscripts, right? But once we get the manuscripts, or once we get the copy of the Scriptures, what, we have, what has to happen is God has, through the Holy Spirit, has to illuminate the Scriptures, right? Um, help us understand the Scriptures. So there's uh, interpretation that has to take place and then application to our lives. So we're kind of in the middle of that. We talked a lot about observation, and that's where we spend most of our time when we're studying through a book of the Bible. How do we actually study through a book or read through a book? We, we talked about that a little bit too. We said uh, one thing we do, we start in the beginning and read to the end, just like, that's just like you would a letter, right, from somebody. Start at the beginning, read to the end. What else? Anything else? Remember about that? Talk about read, read, reading prayerfully, right? Open my eyes, I may see wonderful things in your law. Uh, read repeatedly, you know, if you can, read through a book numerous times, right? Um, and we are in, in, we talked about observation a lot, and we looked at Philippians, and we read through the book of Philippians. And in observation phase, what are we trying to do? What does the text say? Just figure out what's on the page. Yeah, what do we yeah. See? yeah, yeah. And so, and we we bombard it with questions, right? Those who, what, when, why, where questions. And we read through the book of Philippians in here, and we we answered a lot of questions, right? We said you can find out a lot about a book just by reading the, just by reading the text, and 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 being intuitive, being being inquisitive, and asking questions. Uh, we we read through Philippians, and um, and we found out a lot of information. Do you remember um, why it was written? Do you remember? There's many reasons, but several reasons. Do any of you remember? I'll get you started with one. He loved the Philippians. Right? He's concerned about them. Right? Um, they've been good to Paul. Right? They've been helping him on his journeys. Uh, they'd sent Epaphroditus to him with a gift. So he's really thankful. Um, Paul's sending Epaphroditus back because he was ill and the Philippians are concerned about him. So he's sending them back because they didn't want them to worry, right? Um, he wouldn't encourage them because of the difficulties they were enduring. There were two sisters who were quarreling. What's their names, you remember? Anybody remember? Eunice and Seneke. Somebody want to name their firstborn daughter that, I'm sure, to let them know that Timothy would visit soon, right? All right, that's a lot of information, right? But we just got that just from reading through the book, just from reading through it. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. We just, yeah, learned that. So this is context. This is background information, right? You learn it just, just, from, reading through, uh, just from reading through the book. So we've got all this information, um, and... What we need to do now is actually look at the text we're, we're focusing in on. It's chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, okay? And so what we're going to do, um, this is kind of homework, right? This observation. Uh, let's look at the text, spend a little time with the text, ask those questions. Um, 
So let's look at that. The context, Paul is from writing from prison. Um, in verses 27, he is, um, he is encouraging them, be unified, one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he's encouraging them. The context here, immediate context, is... Be unified in your desire, in your effort, in your um, the work of sharing the gospel. Okay. All right. Let's read uh, one through eleven. Anybody want to read real quick for us? <clears throat> Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Okay. Some of you have done some homework already, but let's, let's look at uh, this, and let's just, some observations. Let's look at the first few verses. What do you see? The first word, if you... Uh, in ASV it says therefore, in the ESV it says so, but what does that word tell you? Yeah, there's this tied to what comes before it, right? Before it was talking about the let's be unified. Paul, uh, let's be unified in, in, in our efforts to share the gospel. Uh, in doing so, there's going to be persecution, okay? Um, so it's tied there. And then the word if. Usually there's the word if means what? If you see an if clause or if statement, it's, it's conditional, right? But it's this, this first verse is interesting. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy. So the, the, it's not necessarily a, a conditional statement here. It's just assuming those things are true. If they're in Christ, has there been any encouragement, any comfort, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy? Yeah, of course, right? All right, what else you see? First couple verses. Gives them joy that they're that when they're like minded, when they have the same, yeah. You know, unified. Yeah. 
you see those words uh, same, same, one, the unity, right? All right, verse 3 and 4. Be humble and think of others before yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Verse 3, there's a contrast there, isn't it? Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited, but... Yeah, be, be humble. Think of others. First five and six. Christ is a, a pattern. For what Paul's expecting from them. Yeah. So that he gives an example of, of the incarnation as an example of how Jesus put the interest of others before himself. There's another contrast there in verse 7. The word but. He was in the form of God, but he didn't. He didn't grab after that, right? But he became a servant, became a man. I think it makes a pretty good point of um, a big contrast. And that he wasn't just human. He was the, the lowest of humans. He wasn't a servant. He was the human of a king. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He 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 didn't grasp that. That was he was God, but he right. He didn't. Verse nine. What do you see there in verse nine? What do we need to? Four. Yeah. Before this reason, he's about to. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's tied to he's talking about Jesus didn't grasp his authority, his position, his right, right? But he became a, a servant, even to the point of death. And then it's tied, therefore, because of that, there's another word of saying therefore, or for, it's because, right? So what happens? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. James 4.10 kind of gives us the instruction to follow mm-hmm. that example, so it reiterates that because he humbled himself, God exalted him. Yeah. Yeah, he... He humbled himself, so God gave him the name that is above every name. And look at verse 10. These words are so important in, in the, the epistles, especially in Paul's writings, in, in the entire Bible, especially Paul's writing. Verse 10, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. How high of a place of honor did he have? Yeah, the highest, right? The highest. Yeah, so much so that at the mention of his name, every knee should bow and confess that he is Lord. So he's given them that name, and the purpose of that, verse 10, is that everybody would do what? Yeah, yield to him, right? Yeah, he, he, it's kind of like he relented, right? He didn't grasp his position. He gave that up, and he became a man, right? He, he didn't grasp that position so that Everybody will put him in that place, right? By the way they yield to him and exalt him and obey him. And then at the, end, at the very end there, to the glory of God the Father, so he thought that he the ultimate purpose of all of that. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> kind of interesting in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Does this mean the... What does that mean, you think? Kind of all-encompassing, right? Yeah, yeah. So about verse 10, and, uh, my Bible says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth mm-hmm. and under the earth, mm-hmm. and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I thought it, maybe it's just translation, I thought it was every knee will bow. The should acts like there's, or to me, seems like yeah. there's an option. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, like in the end, everybody's going to bow, everybody's going to confess. Yeah. Is that true? Well, there's an option now, but there won't be an option later, right? Right, okay, so yes, it's true. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I was just making sure. Was yeah, what's the New American Standard say? It says will. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 
But it also has it on it all capitals, which is a clue yeah. that's quoted yeah. somewhere else. What what is uh what other uh, what other this observations? Just look at the text. Anything else stick out? We're just we're just taking a look, right? Just trying to gather information. Uh, things that stick out, things that are repeated. Remember, things that are repeated, things that are contrasted, things that are emphasized. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Asking these questions, you're gathering information, keywords. What I what I do a lot of times, I just summarize. I just kind of put it in my own words. I do that a lot. I think that's helpful. Um, you could summarize the text, and it's interesting um, how this you're observing and you're just taking in information. And it's funny. I've got a couple guys I, I meet with during the week, and we'll we'll do this. They always want to jump. We just we just start. We read through a passage, and they want to just start. Tell me what it means and how we apply it. Boom, boom, boom. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just, let's just read through the text. Let's just gather some information, right? Uh, get our bearings. Um, but observation and interpretation, they kind of run together. So we're gonna, what we're going to do now is look at uh, interpretation. And remember, why do we have to interpret it? Why can't we just read the Bible and just know what it, know what it means? Why do we have to do a little work to find out what it, each text means? Do we remember? Remember what we said? I mean, when was the book culture. of... Time. Yeah, culture. We have, there's barriers, right? There's time. There's culture barriers. When was, when was Philippians written? First century, first century, right? And so there's a lot. And, 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 you know, they're in Palestine. There's cultural differences. And there's, it wasn't written in English, right? There's language differences. So there's, a, uh, there's barriers there. So we have to do a little bit of work to interpret the meaning. So when we talk about interpretation, again, they oftentimes run together. Um, most of our time is spent in the observation step, right? Just, just looking at the text. And I, I said this before, I think that's part of our problem, my problem, and, and all of us, I think, sometimes we don't understand or, uh, um, a text. We just don't spend a lot of time. I think just in our culture, we just want to hurry up, figure it out, and move on to the next thing, you know? We just don't really spend time reading and looking and, uh, you know, investigating, observing. Uh, the text. I think we kind of get ahead of ourselves. So what we're, we're trying to do is just figure out what the text means. When Paul, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was, when was this written? 50, 60 um, A.D.? What, um, what did he mean when he wrote these words? You say, well, what did God mean? What did Paul mean, right? What did he mean? What was he, what was he getting at? Why did he write this text, chapter 2, verse 1 through 
11. Okay, so we, we talked about when we, when we study the scripture, where we study prayerfully, Lord, help me understand, right? Um, give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Give me understanding. Open my eyes. I may see wonderful things in your law, right? Uh, we're asking prayerfully um, about uh, the scriptures. We're trying to um, draw conclusions that we've made from the observation phase, just spending time. And I know sometimes, uh, again, I've said this before, we love the principal part of it. And, okay, how do I do this? Tell me how. Give me, a, give me a, an outline. I've got some notes. And then we'll do that later on. But what I'm wanting to do is for us just to sit with the text and just ponder the text. So what we're going to do with each genre, this is an epistle. And um, what we're going to do today, we're going to look at interpretation. Quickly, we're going to talk about application. And then um, next week, we're going to start just introducing all the genres. And when you look at it, look when you open up the Bible and you say, "Hey, turn to Philippians," in your mind, what should you remember about an epistle that'll help you interpret it rightly? And then what we're going to do is just go through each genre and just spend time with the text. Okay. Um, so about interpretation, just a, a couple things. It's in your notes there. The context rules, right? You got to know the context. That's with any any genre of scripture, but especially the epistles. What's going on? Because the epistles are actually addressing some, you know, addressing some problem. You know, typically. Either uh, addressed to a person or a church, okay? So context is really, really important, okay? Um, you think you don't have an outline? Do we have a new one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, you came in late. Anybody got, we got any more outlines? I'm sorry. Uh, you're right in there and I'm like, we got an outline somewhere. Um, context is real important. Um, it must be interpreted in light of all of Scripture. What's that mean? Yeah, because you're not going to have one, one text contradict another. Right? Scripture is never going to contradict itself. Okay. I think that's the biggest way that I figure out that my interpretation is wrong when I compare it to other scripture and it contradicts. Yeah. Like, I'm wrong. The scripture ain't. Right. That's true. Yep. Yeah. 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 And it should be interpreted literally, right? Or naturally according to his genre. We're going to talk more about that types of literature. When you're uh, trying to de determine the meaning of a text, don't develop, you know, your doctrine from obscure or difficult passages, right? Be careful of that. Again, what are we trying to do? Discover the author's intended meaning. Honor that meaning. And then... Uh, Check your conclusions just using reliable sources. You're like, well, what reliable sources? Well, you may have uh, uh, you may have notes from school. Some of you may have went to Bible college or college and you took a Bible class. I have a file cabinet that I have books of the Bible, notes that I've taken. Sometimes I'll check that. Sometimes I'll look at a commentary. Um, sometimes I'll read a sermon of somebody that I trust, or I bounce it off 
folks that I trust, right? Hey, what do you think about this? This is what I'm thinking. Is this, you think this is what Paul is meaning here? Anybody else? Any other resources? One thing we want to do, though, we want to make sure we do that after we've done our own homework, right? Do your own work and then um, spend time with the text. Like I, said, I think a lot of times what we'll do is we'll, we'll jump and want to read somebody's, you know, somebody's comments on a text before we actually spend time with it ourselves, and I'm guilty of that as well. Um, here's another way of uh, saying the same thing here. Interpret it literally, what the original author intend. Interpret it grammatically. You know, obey the laws of grammar. Interpret it historically. How would the original audience understand it? And that's, I think that's really helpful, you know? Yeah, if the, the people, the original audience would never understand it that way, then probably not the intended meaning. Interpret it contextually. Again, how does it fit in the surrounding verses in the whole book? And then compare it with Scripture, okay? I liked how that was kind of put together kind of succinctly. Um, what, let me ask you a question. If since how many meanings does a text have? Yeah, one. Um, so if a text has only one meaning, what if two of us disagree about the correct interpretation? At least one of us is one. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least maybe both, right? Yeah, and and there are difficult texts, right? Um, I mean, Peter said that about Paul, Paul's writings. There's some difficult texts, but by and large, can we understand the Bible? Yeah, by and large, we can understand the Bible, right? It's not this, you know, this, you know, kind of book that uh, we can't read and understand. Uh, but there are some difficult texts. But I, I think that happens. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, we'll bounce it off of one another. Um, Tuesday mornings, you know, small group leaders will bounce things off of one another and. Hey, this is, what do you think about this? And we'll be doing that uh, at, when we get to Daniel chapter 7 uh, through 12 uh, a good bit. But um, I think that's fine. There's times, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, we want to get at the meaning, we understand it, but it's a little, little difficult. We just have to remember that the conflict, the problem is not with the text. The problem is with who? With us, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's just like two people see an accident it happened. You know, they see it a little differently, right? But our goal as believers is to be faithful and accurate and interpret a text um, um, correctly. Um, all right, now let's look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and just answer what does the text mean? And you say, well, we've kind of already done that. We kind of kind of wore that out. But I don't, yeah, observation and interpretation kind of go together. Um, but what is, what is, if you're going to say, all right, what does this mean? Anybody in the world that did not need to be humbled, it would be Christ. Mm -hmm. And he starts off in the glories of heaven, yeah. comes down at the slaves, yeah. you know, and all the way to death on the cross. Yeah. So he is a perfect example of what being humble is like. Yeah. He's a perfect pattern. None of us yeah. have done that. Right, right. Yeah, I think, remember, remember when we get into interpretation, remember the, the context, what's going on. The book, he's from prison, he's writing this to this church, he loves them. Epaphroditus has come, he's sending them back. What's all going on? Keep in mind, you remember those two sisters? They're having a cat fight, you know? 
uh, he's just talked about unity in regard to, in, in chapter 1, verse 27, 28, in regard to let's be unified in sharing the gospel. Let's be on the same team. We're trying to share the gospel, right? Uh, but here he's, he's talking about unity as well. Right? He uses the word same twice and one, same, same one. He talks about unity. Here he's just telling them to be one, get along, be together, right? Just in relationship. I like what it says in two. It says complete my joy as yeah. a pastor. Yeah. Duty, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because that's a big deal for him. Yeah. For him to be talking about humility, there's got to be some issues going on. Even though this is a great church. Oh, yeah. There's some issues with the church. Yeah. Yeah, how do we know it's a great church? Just from reading through the book, you remember? I mean, what's the theme in the book? What's repeated over and over and over again? Joy, rejoice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's it's a it's a happy mood, you know? And you read some like Galatians, it's kind of a downer, right? You know, Paul's getting on, but here it's a, it's a, yeah, he's in prison and he's concerned about them. He's heard uh, a few different things here, there, and yonder about the church, and he's writing uh, back to them. So, um, yeah, make me joyful. What does he tell him to do? Be. Be unified. And how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And then he gives an example of what that looks like. Right? Yeah, Phil, you're, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, if anybody had a reason not to be, but yeah, he was, right? And then the result of his humility is this exaltation, right? So much so that one day everybody's going to give him his rightful place. He gave it up willingly, but because he did that, what's Michael, as she pointed out, he, he's going to exalt him to the highest place. And So if you're going to put this together, um, in a few sentences. Can you write down a few sentences, put down a few sentences, what, what is, hey, what is, what's the meaning of Philippians 2, 1 through 11?
What you got? Somebody. What you got? A couple sentences? Anybody? Well, there's joy in suffering, but there's joy in serving as well. Yeah. And, and we have joy in both. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he comes right off of talk about suffering. He wants, he wants, Paul wants him to make me happy by being unified, by being humble like Jesus. Somebody else, what you, what you got down? Be of one mind, be humble, serve others. Christ is the ultimate example of humble service even to the point of death. Due to his humility, he is lifted up by God. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Now the third step. We finished two steps. Observation, interpretation, now application, right? All right. Application. What do we do? James 1, 19, and 22 and 25. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. For he forgets like a man looking at his face in the mirror and immediately forgetting. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, he will be blessed in what he does. We know that. That's a familiar passage. All right. What do we do? Yeah. Listen to the word and not obey is an act of deception. The Bible says we deceive ourselves by thinking listening is enough. Right. So what do we what do we things to remember about application real quickly? Application is always built on interpretation. Or you have to interpret first before you can apply. If your interpretation is wrong, your application will be wrong too, right? Again, a lot of times we, we read a text and we're just thinking about what we need to do, what we need to do, but we haven't spent time with the text. What does this mean? Okay. The Bible is not written to make us smarter sinners, but holy saints, right? You heard that before probably. Adding just knowledge through Bible study only leads to pride. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 1 Corinthians 8.1 The goal of Bible study is not to do something to the Bible, but allow the Bible to do something to us. Studying the Bible and learning truth without applying it is not just making a mistake, but it's, it's sin, right? James 4.17 Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it sins. Think about the scribes and Pharisees. They knew the, the law, but they didn't do it. That's why he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, right, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. A text has one meaning, but can have several applications or implications, right? All right. Now, um, there's. A, let me let me mention something real quick. We're still waiting on kids. Um, we need to 
we have to be careful to cross a cult. There's a cultural gap we need to cross, okay? Between our culture today and the culture of the original audience. Um, and we need to determine those timeless truths that are just as applicable today as they were then. Like for instance, Romans 13, uh, 1 through 7, it talks about the, um, the authorities being set up by, by God, right? Um, well, there's, there's some timeless truths there, right? Submit to the governing authorities that God has established. But how would we apply that? What's an example? That's a timeless truth. Submit to governing authorities that God has established. But how would we apply that? One way. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes, yeah. Obey the speed limit, right? Not slander them on social media. Yeah. Yeah, police officer says, uh, put your hands up. Put your hands on the car and do not move. Yeah, do all those things. Um, yeah. Um, all right. There's here, this, we've done this a little bit. I don't have that up there. You got it in your notes there. Nine questions asked. I think this is helpful. I'm going to try to use this a little more in our, um, in our, in, even in, in our Sunday morning time. I think it's really helpful just as far as application. Sometimes you're like, well, how do I apply this? Is there a command to obey? You know, is there an error to avoid? Does the passage point out sinful behavior attitudes that need to be confessed? Is there an example to follow? Is there a promise to claim? Does the passage highlight an aspect of God's nature and character that we should praise Him for? Is there a truth to believe? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a verse to memorize? We'll keep going until the students come down. Um, so let's answer those, these nine questions. There are several different approaches there. You've got it in your notes. I think uh, we should look to the original audience of the text. Do you have those? Yeah, okay, making sure you did. Um, you can look at those the different approaches. Uh, let's answer that. Is there a command to obey here in, in Philippians 2, 1 through 11? What, what, where, where, and tell me of the verse. Yeah, verse 2, uh, be unified, agree with one another. Verse 3, be humble, consider others more important than myself. Verse 4, put others' interests above my own. Anything else? And verse 5, have the attitude of Christ. Have the of Christ. Yep. Yeah, that's enough to work on for a while, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, the second question, is there an error to avoid? Yeah. Verse 3. Don't be selfish or vain. Don't look only to my own interest. Yeah, let's uh let's let's finish up. Uh just finish that up, maybe homework. Just answering those nine questions and then uh, we'll start looking at different genres next week, okay? All right. Hey, grab one of these books on your way out, okay? One